Hi, you're listening to Him We Proclaim with Dr. John Fonville. What sort of things do you do for a living? Have you ever stopped to think about your vocational work and how special it is to the kingdom of God? One doesn't have to work at a church or a rescue mission to be considered kingdom work. Today, John Fonville brings us a message called Being a Model Citizen, Ready for Any Good Work, Part 2. He honors the many areas of work we do and shares gospel encouragement with us on its value because our work serves a lost world and it's an expression of the gospel. Let's listen now to this next message in the Models of Good Citizenship series. Here's John. And Paul says, I want you to bring this and bring a, be a public benefactor to your culture. Uh, Professor Stark also says that what Christianity gave to its converts was nothing less than their humanity. He says this, he says, if you look at the Roman world, you have to question whether half the people had any humanity. He says, going to the arena to enjoy watching people tortured and killed doesn't strike me as healthy. He says, I'm a big football fan, and I see that when some player gets hurt, they bring out an ambulance, and the doctors take 20 minutes to get him off the field. They don't want to hurt people out there, but these people did. They would shout, shake him, jump up and down on him. They were savages. They had lost their humanity. And Stark, this, this agnostic, he looks at the fact that, that, that the rise of Christianity in the ancient world had this civilizing effect upon it, and it gave to converts nothing less than their humanity. This is exactly what Paul is teaching these Cretan believers. He's showing them and he's showing us how the gospel brings this civilizing effect upon an uncivilized society. How much in our society over the past several months has our society lost its humanity towards fellow humans? And so Paul is concerned to teach the young Cretan believers and us how the gospel produces first-class citizens by bringing into this present evil age the powers of the age to come. That's chapter 3, verses 4 through 7. Paul, throughout this letter, has what's called virtue lists. He has it in chapter 1, he has it in chapter 2, and he has it in chapter 3. Ethics, how he wants people to live. And these virtue lists are important because it gives insight into the personal vices of the Cretan culture. Let me give you some examples of what the Cretan culture was like in Paul's day. These vice lists show us that the Cretan culture was steeped in lying, slander, maligning their neighbors, drunkenness, adulterous husbands and wives, and quarrelsome conduct and all sorts of these, these vices that makes for being a bad neighbor. And so Paul is telling Titus, bring into order in the church where these things are lacking in the church. And he says, look, instead of living Creedon-like, I want through the gospel the believers to live Christ-like. And so Christians belong to their earthly city and are to seek its welfare by loving their neighbor now. As we talk about this and look at this, you know, be ready for every good work. We have to understand this, that Paul's exhortation falls under, listen carefully, this is very important. Paul's exhortation, be ready for every good work, falls under the great commandment. 
love of neighbor, not the great commission given to the visible church. The mission of the visible church as a gathered place is to fulfill the great commission. And the mission of the visible church as an institution, as a place, is determined by the message that it preaches, the gospel. And in the Great Commission, God gives to the church visible its marks, preaching of God's word, the administration of the sacraments, and the exercise of church discipline. And so listen very carefully. The marks of the church define and deliver the message of the church and accomplish its mission. It's, it's just vital to get that the visible church is, a, is primarily a place where believers come to be served. Yet too often the vocation of the visible church is confused with the vocation of individual believers. Let me give you some illustrations to help you think about this. Uh, researchers uh, are, are, are research scientists for exercise now emphasize why workout recovery is so important. And workout recovery, not just for the, uh, the athletes at the highest levels, but also for the weekend warriors and the gym goers and just basically anybody who's interested in getting fit needs to understand the importance of recovery. And so sometimes you've heard, uh, who, who's heard this? Uh, uh, no pain, no gain, right? Pain is gain. Well, scientists are discovering that actively investing in post-workout recovery is just as, if not more important than the time that you spend actually working out in the gym. Why? Because exercise is stress, is essentially stress. And listen, when you are repeatedly stressed with no built-in time for recovery and rest, the consequences can be disastrous. If you don't have adequate time to recover, it can lead to decreased performance. And scientists now say it can lead to what's called OTS, but is overtraining syndrome. If you get OTS, it says that it can compromise your immune system. You can get sick. You can feel exhausted. You can come up with chronic joint pain and chronic muscle pain constantly. I want you to think back for a moment um, about the story of Martha and Mary when Jesus came to their house. Remember that story? And so Jesus shows up at the house, and Martha gets busy serving and Mary just sits down, it says in the text, at Jesus' feet and, quote, listens to his word. And Jesus commends Mary but rebukes Martha. Now, what was Jesus saying? That you shouldn't serve and the serving's bad? No. And was he saying that you should just sit at Jesus' feet and never serve like Mary? No. But too often, the visible church is like Martha, totally distracted with all its serving, rather than being like Mary, seated at the Lord's feet and listening to his word. Or, to use the workout metaphor, too many Christians have OTS. They have overtraining syndrome. Now listen, there is a time to serve. 
but there's also a time to be served. And so we come to the visible church as a place in order to be served. We come to the visible church to sit at the Lord's feet and to listen to his word, to receive his service to us. We come to the visible church to rest. We come to the visible church to recover. And after we receive the rest, after we receive Christ's service to us by word and sacrament, the means of grace, then we are sent out into the world in our various vocations to love and serve our neighbor in every good work. But this is what happens. Listen, when we are exhausted from all our service and repeated stress six days a week, and we come to the visible church, and all we're told is, you just got to do more when you get here. The question is, where do you go find rest? When do you recover so that you don't have overtraining syndrome? When is there a time where you're like Mary, where you sit at the feet of Jesus and listen to his word and get served and acted upon rather than serve and just keep acting so that you just eventually burn out. And so listen, in contrast to the great commission which is given to the visible church through the vocation of ordained pastors and ministry leaders, all Christians are not called to this ministry of pastor shepherd, but all Christians are called in the great commandment to love and serve their neighbor in every good work. And so we have to make distinctions between vocations. The believer's general call in the vocation as a citizen, in the vocation of whatever it is, we'll see in a moment, is worked out in their general calling to be ready for every good work. It can mean the willingness to, to do things that help the public in one's community. And so obedience to Paul's command, be ready for every good work. Listen, this is carried out best, one's vocation, personal vocation. Uh, Gene V says this, he says, vocations are multiple. Any, any given person has many vocations. A typical man might be simultaneously a husband serving his wife, a father serving his children, a son serving his living parents, an employer serving his workers, an employee serving his bosses, a citizen serving his country. No, note how a person at a particular job can be both a master charged with supervising subordinates and at the same time a servant answerable to superiors, whether a CEO or stockholders. Leadership and submission may both be called for as the different vocations makes their claims. Let me give you two examples this morning of what I'm talking about so that it'll help you get this better, of how believers can be ready for every good work. That is, using their general vocations in a willingness to do things that helps improve their public communities. Lindsay has been working for two and a half years. She's the president of the board. She's been working two and a half years to bring this school about in our community. Cornerstone Classical uh, academy. 
This, this is a tuition-free charter school within Duval County Public Schools. In all of these people who are volunteers to make this charter school happen in our community, they're volunteers and nobody gets paid for any of it. But why did they do this? Because they all wanted to improve the education system and opportunities for not only their children, but the children of our community. They wanted to make our community a better place. They're, they're acting as public benefactors in this initiative. And through their sacrificial and tireless efforts, they're bringing great benefits to our community by, by providing sound education, which is vital to the survival of any culture. Uh, let, me, uh, let me give you another example. This comes from my own family, my father-in-law. Uh, my father-in-law, listen to the things that he has done. He's involved in helping at-risk kids and the homeless in Winston-Salem, North Carolina, here in Jacksonville, Florida, and other cities throughout our country. He's the founder um, of the Winston-Salem Rescue Mission. He's the founder of the Salem Pregnancy Support Center. He's the founder of One Kid at a Time, which is a mentoring program for young people. He's the founder of the Christian Association of Youth Mentoring, which is a national effort throughout the whole country to find mentors to mentor at-risk children. He's also the founder of Kids Extreme, which is an intercity Christian youth program that focuses on Section 8 housing. And he's done many other things for this country and for our cities and communities to make it a better place for us to live in. All of these initiatives that he has started is a, is a way that he wanted to give back to love and serve his neighbor to be ready for every good work, to serve as a public benefactor for the welfare of many communities throughout our entire country. And this is what the Apostle Paul is talking about. This is the purpose of our vocations. It is to serve others. It is to love our neighbors. It is to fulfill the second table of the law. It is to act as public benefactors to seek the welfare of one's community and city in which we live. And think about it. Paul was writing to people who lived under the Roman government. We live in a democratic republic. And for Christians who live in a democratic republic, we have great advantages. And we have great opportunities to benefit and promote the public good of our communities. And so how, this, how we carry this out, be ready for every good work. The way we carry this out is best carried out by fulfilling the various vocations to which we've been called in this life. When the Apostle Paul says, be ready for every good work, he's not just talking about the extraordinary, radical acts, the great success stories that we envision, Right? Listen, the good works that he's talking about is found in the realm of the ordinary. Again, listen to the, the Lutheran theologian, Gene Veith. He says, flipping hamburgers, cleaning hotel rooms. Now look, after months of quarantine and COVID-19, who isn't thankful that somebody's cleaning hotel rooms, right? You don't think that's loving your neighbor? Do you want to walk into a virus-infested hotel room, Right? 
flipping hamburgers, cleaning hotel rooms, emptying bedpans. They said all of these have dignity as vocations, spheres of expressing love of neighbor through selfless service in which God is masked. Changing our children's dirty diapers is loving your neighbor, and that's a good work. That's a great vocation. Anything that we do, all the vocations that we have are expressions, opportunities providentially in our life to just love and serve our neighbor to make this world a better place. Second, our various vocations are essentially about how God serves our neighbors through us. It is actually God using you and those vocations that he's put in your life so that he can serve others through you. And that's why the Luther talked about how God is hidden in vocations. The, 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 the milk truck that delivers the milk to the grocery stores, that is God. The grocery stores where we pick up our milk and buy it from, that is the vocation that God uses to give us our food. The farmer who raises the cattle, that is the vocation that God uses to give us those animals to eat and to live. God uses the vocations, all of the vocations in life, to love and benefit and serve our neighbors for the public good. And this brings us to a last point. As we think about Paul's exhortation to be ready for every good work, let us not lose sight of the fact that every good work is a fruit of a gospel-filled heart. Paul's argument here is that the gospel-filled Christian will be ready for every good work because he ties this exhortation in verse 1 to the gospel in chapter 3, verses 4 through 7. Where does a heart of love to benefit your neighbor come from? It comes not just from philanthropic desires to help others, which is fine, but ultimately there's a different, there's a different motive, there's a different drive, and it's called the grace of God in salvation. Paul is teaching us that the gospel drives us outside of ourselves. The gospel creates this outward focus of the, in the hearts of Christians and motivating them to go out and to be ready for every good work. And so believers are called to be engaged in our culture as a whole, working through their various vocations, which might be, in your case, being a husband, a father, a cousin, an uncle, right? An employee, an employer, Whatever it is, wherever God has you providentially to serve others, that is where he wants you to be engaged with your culture to make your community better. We have just seen the breakdown of humanity in our culture over the past four months, haven't we not? People have lost their humanity. And God is calling us as a church to be a counterculture, to be different, to live different, to look different. And it comes from the grace of God in the gospel. This pattern, as we finish, is perfectly captured. This pattern of coming to the visible church to be served, coming to the visible church to receive, coming to the visible church to be acted upon, to rest, right? Right? 
And then to be sent back out into the world in your various vocations to love and serve your neighbor. This pattern is perfectly captured for us each week in the post-communion prayer and Holy Communion that we pray week after week after week. This is why liturgy matters. The things that we pray and the liturgy that we follow, it isn't just to sound fancy and to have fancy prayers and to look real formal or anything like that. It's trying to teach you something trying to mold and shape and form you into being a godly, Christ-filled, gospel-rich-filled heart Christian who loves your neighbor and serves your neighbor through the vocations that you've been given. Listen carefully, because we're about to pray this prayer in a few minutes. Listen carefully to how this prayer goes. Almighty, never-living God, we thank you for feeding us. You see, he feeds us. You hear that? We are passive here. We thank you for feeding us in these holy mysteries with the spiritual food of the most precious body and blood of your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ, and for assuring us, you see, loving and serving our neighbors, whether we're a swimmer like my daughter at NC State, a volleyball player like my daughter is going to be a high point, or a basketball player like my son would be a high point, or, or whether it be my wife being a mother in the home, whatever vocation it is. You have to receive assurance so that you can go in that vocation and be faithful to use those vocations to love and benefit your neighbor. You come here to be assured. Thank you for assuring us through this sacrament of your favor and goodness toward us. How many of you walk into church every week going, man, is God really, does he really, is his goodness really toward me this week? Is his favor really with me this week? Have I blown it too much the past six days to really walk into church and to be able to sit here and really know that I'm in favor with God? That's what the Lord's Supper is all about. That's what the ministry of his word is all about. For assuring us through this sacrament of your favor and goodness towards us. Listen, that we are members of the mystical body of your son, the blessed company of all faithful people, and are also heirs through hope of your everlasting kingdom. We have a great hope. So that's the first part of the prayer where we are served. And it just rehearses all that has just happened to you throughout this whole service. And listen to the transition. And after you've talked about, we thank you for all that you've done for us, we humbly ask you, Heavenly Father, to assist us with your grace that we may continue in that holy fellowship. Listen, and do all the good works that you have prepared for us to walk in. Do you see the connection? Am I I clear here? Do you see this connection? That's how it works. We come here to be assured of his favor and goodness towards us. We come here to be fed with the spiritual food of the most precious body and blood of Jesus through word and sacrament. We come to be assured that we are true members of his mystical body and that we are heirs through hope of an everlasting kingdom that has no end. And through receiving that service, then we say, now we humbly ask you, Father, send us out into the world for the next six days to do all the good works that you prepared for us to walk in. 
Drive us by your favor and goodness. Drive us by your grace. Drive us by your gospel. Drive us by the service that we've received here today from you to go love and serve others for the next six days. Does everybody see that? And this is what the Apostle Paul is teaching us here. The gospel creates in the church individual believers who go out into the world and who act as public benefactors for the welfare of their city. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your mercy and grace to us. We thank you that the gospel of grace creates this counterculture that that produces a desire into the hearts of your people to go out and to love and serve their neighbor in good works. So create in our hearts a desire to be ready for every good work so that we can adorn the gospel and benefit our neighbors and lead people into your kingdom by your grace. We pray this in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thanks, John. The message we just heard is called Being a Model Citizen, Ready for Any Good Work, Part 2. More from this series coming up next time. The mission of Him We Proclaim is to bring you the gospel of good news each weekday. And it's our prayer that your heart will be filled with joy and a clear understanding of the gospel and God's word. If you want to hear a past broadcast, check out our podcast in iTunes or download our app. Just search for Dr. John Fonville in iTunes or Google Play. Him We Proclaim is a broadcast of Dr. John Fonville. If you would like to visit Pastor John's church in Jacksonville, Florida, you're always welcome. You can find out more at ParamountChurch.com. Thanks for listening and join us next time 